Higher Things thanks you for your support. Please continue to support the work we do with youth by going to our website at higherthings.org, clicking on support and donating securely through PayPal. Your gift helps us in our mission to support pastors, youth workers, and parents in daring our church's youth to be Lutheran. Hello and welcome to the Gospel Boldly Podcast, where we confess with St. John that these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. We're your hosts, I'm Thomas Limke. And I am Pastor Eric Brown, and we are uh, getting ready to dive into the book of Acts again, Acts chapter 6. But before we go, Thomas, I want to give a shout out to to. Uh, 95.7 The Cross in Lincoln. Yeah. Thomas, we have an affiliate. Basically, yeah. It's, I, I we're mean, not yeah, exactly we're... syndicated, but it's it's that <laughs> next best thing, you know? And so we appreciate are, them immensely for it. If you are listening to the podcast on your mobile device or what have you, awesome. We love that. And if you're listening live in Lincoln, that's really kind of cool too. So have fun. Enjoy enjoy the upcoming Husker football season, hopefully, and all that good stuff. And um, But but, but believe it or not, Thomas, there's something even better than Cornhusker football, even better than Oklahoma Sooner football. And do you know what that is? I, I've got several things. <laughs> I guess you you'll have tell no me. soul. The word of God. That's <laughs> the go. answer I was looking for. So so let's uh, dive on into Acts chapter six. And and just as a reminder, so far in the first five chapters of Acts, Things are kind of starting to, to roll along really well, and oh yeah, everything's going great. And then chapter five, we had we had a uh, Anias and Sapphira, and and the uh, oh yeah, they they start dying because they're broken the church. And now now things are going to start getting a little bit more normal for for uh, troubles falling into the li- into our lives as they as it often does. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with chapter six. Okay. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. All right. What does that mean, Thomas? What What is that description? What, what's that describing? It describes the mixture of Jews and Greeks within the Christian congregations. And now we have some, some infighting. One of the things that we can sometimes forget is we often think, well, yes, Paul was the missionary to the the Gentiles, and so no Gentiles believe. No, 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 plenty, plenty of Gentiles believe before Paul. It's just they had to basically be fully in the Jewish community. It was Christianity was almost a subset of Judaism, and so if you really wanted to be Christian, you had to kind of come into to Judaism. There's a problem, um, Thomas. Do race relations still pop up today? You know, it's been a long time since I've heard about anything going, oh, wait, there was that one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over and over and over again. And, and the ancient world was no different. It was cosmopolitan. You had 
people from all over living together in the same areas. Jerusalem was no different. And what pops up is you have a dispute going on between how the widows are treated. Thomas, in church parlance, in the New Testament, in the early church, what is a widow? Um, well, someone who, I mean, is it just church parlance? The definition would be someone who has lost their husband. More than that. Uh, what would happen in the early church is if you're a gal and you don't have a husband, what are your prospects? You're, you're kind of off on your own. You have yeah, no means if, of support unless you've, you, prior unless husband. you've, yeah, unless you've inherited. Right. So what would happen is if you weren't able to support yourself or you weren't, going to go try and get remarried because mm -hmm. again you, you have guys who need wives and all that stuff like all right you could basically enlist as a widow where you would say i'm going to live off of the the wealth of the church and i will basically serve the church it's almost it's almost what develops into to nuns and such like that right. it's where where all right, I, I i make my living off of the church now and i will serve the church or, or deaconesses or stuff like that and what happens is they're supposed to make they're supposed to be taken care of by the church. That that's the deal. The the church almost acts as the the husband, as it were. And what happens? Well, you know, some of the the Greek ladies, who the the Gentile ladies are kind of getting the short end of the stick in the distribution. Why? Well, you you have that you're dealing with people who are like, oh, well, you know. We tend not to like the Gentiles all that much. Mm -hmm. Don't like the Greek speakers. And, uh, and it's just that, that latent background disdain. Uh, uh, what uh, Implicit bias. Oh, okay. <laughs> to use the, the, the modern hip lingo. <laughs> Play, plays out. And, and so basically there's, wait a second, how come, how come Aunt Bertha's not getting taken care of when, when Aunt Shoshana is? What, what's going on? So, big kerfuffle. Right. Widows aren't being taken care of. They had all things in common, but suddenly the 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 uh, uh, actually having all things in common is having some uh, hiccups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, let's carry on. Okay. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. All right. So this gets up to the apostles. And the apostles are sort of like, you know, we're we're preaching, we're, we're praying, we're leading worship, we're doing a lot of stuff here. There's housekeeping things to be done. There, there's management that needs to be done. So tell you what. Go find seven guys who you trust to be able to do this stuff fairly, and we'll appoint them. And, and they'll go and do it for the church. And they uh, they get called the the deacons. And what does the word deacon mean, Thomas? Mm, blinking. It just means to serve. Okay. Yeah, they're 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 the ones who who carry out service. They were so so. These are almost now within a. Within around 20, 30, 40 years, the, the ones who are deacons end up becoming secondary clergy and start helping out and assisting not only with the distribution of wealth, but also assist with the preaching of the word and with the prayers. And they, they end up assisting liturgically, too. But but initially, they're set up mainly to handle the 
the, the busy work to, to make sure that everyone's taken care of socially to wait tables. This is one of the, <laughs> yeah. Well, this is one of the things that, that still is present in our, in the Missouri Senate with our deaconesses who are trained theologically, but especially focused and equipped for doing, uh, acts of, uh, mercy care and, and almost social work, if you want to put it that in those terms mm-hmm. within the congregation, and the community. So, all right, gotcha. go, go pick out, Seven guys to do stuff. So, cool. carry on. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. The, uh, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. All right. Now, I, I just had a moment earlier where I was having a hard time coming up with a good Jewish name for, for uh, an aunt. Yeah. I don't know why it was. It was just one of those brain freezes. But um, those names, do those sound like Jewish names or Greek names? Uh, to a one, they sound very Greek. They, they are. They're very Greek. Uh, the name Stephen, what does that mean in Greek? In Greek, it's Stephanos. Yeah. Um, wow. My Greek vocabulary is just like I, I, slid I, I, out the I'm, back of my brain this morning. I, I'm I'm trying to do pantomime over Skype for Thomas <laughs> to see if he can get it. This is great radio. But, there you go. But Crown, I, I believe is Crown. The, yes, yes. So so if you if any of you know a Stephen Crown, his name is actually Crown Crown, but that's neither here nor there. Nice. Um, then you have Philip. That that's much more. Now, granted, this doesn't mean that they were all necessarily Greeks, because even at this time, a lot of your your Jewish people would end up having a Greek name, just like you have in the U.S. names from all over. Right. I mean, so. Um, but Prochorus, Parmenas. I mean, wow. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, uh, they're probably pulling out some good. You know, let's get some good Hellenists. In fact, you get that that note that that Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a proselyte of of Antioch that he wasn't even from Jerusalem. He's a guy who came down from Antioch. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to him kind of later. I think maybe and maybe. But uh, so and some of these are, are famous. The two most famous of them are Stephen and Philip. So those are right. the 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 ones that we end up hearing most about later on. So, but yeah, all right. We'll we'll get these guys and we'll put them to work. And then what happens if you just read verse seven? Sure. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, and this is something to note here, that that even, even members of the clergy, even, even folks in the temple are starting to hear the word of God, that they they heed the preaching of the apostles. That That's the point of that obedience. It's not just, oh, we're jumping through the hoops. But no, it's they're hearing the word of God and believing it. They're receiving things by faith. So even this is making inroads into, into the priestly community, which would be a major deal. Now, Thomas, think about this. Yeah. Um, it's going to be after this introduction of... of Christianity into the ranks of the priesthood, where where things are really going to start to get rough for the church. Why would opposition ratchet up, especially after you get the priesthood starting to to Christianize? Well, it's becoming more organized, I would think. It's becoming an organized and tangible threat 
to the old Jewish establishment. Because uh-huh. if even the priests are going, the folks who are working in the temple, what's that going to do to the 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 power and might of the temple and all the chief priests and all that structure? Yeah, it's going the to fo- destabilize that for sure. The folks who are worried about keeping things nice and in order and the way they have been are seeing people directly under their charge converting. And so that this is one of the things that does ratchet up the 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 fear within the the local Jewish community over Christianity. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, any other thoughts there on just uh, the the initial problems and stuff? Because I know we only have a few more minutes till break. Right. So, okay. So, what we're seeing is the the apostles themselves want to stick to preaching. At this point, uh, it says the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. I'm guessing right. they're still relatively clustered in and around Jerusalem. They haven't dispersed to the nations quite yeah, yet. They they are still in Jerusalem. Okay. They're they're basically you're you're talking about a, a smaller now, okay. The disciples are still clustered in Jerusalem. If you remember from Acts, you do have people from all over who sure. have come to Jerusalem. So so they've gone home. They've gone back. And this is one of the things that happens where you do have other groups of Christians popping up elsewhere. But for the narrative here, really they're talking about the church in Jerusalem. And and that's that's a, a smaller cluster. Okay. It's not really until a little bit later where they even think about, oh yeah, it's the church actually Catholic. The church spread throughout the world. That they, they're not really addressing that yet. Okay. It, it's that that's sort of happening off camera, if you if you will, at the moment. Gotcha. We, we don't we don't hear about what's going on there. Because again, if you're if you're doing the history, you're, if we do the history of the Reformation, we kind of talk about what's going on in Wittenberg mainly, and then we look right. at stuff later on in other places. So same thing. Okay, so. that's the idea. So hence the verse seven where it talks about <laughs> disciples multiplying in Jerusalem. Is that's the the optic, right. if you will, we're looking through. Okay, very All good. Right. Well, it is time for the break then. So we'll I guess we'll do that. <laughs> And welcome back to the Gospel Boldly Podcast, where we are moving through the book of Acts. But before we continue on in Acts, it's time for the backwards life, where where we will find some idea or thought in Christianity that normally gets tossed around, and then we'll approach it from a backwards angle, take it from a different take, and see what we can learn. So, uh, Thomas, what is our topic today for the backwards life? I'm just going to come out and say it this time. I want you to... I I normally dance around a bit first. I want you to give me your backwards take on the liturgical calendar, the church year. And I'll I'll now dive into a little bit of background. The seasons are changing. I think everybody's probably noticed the days have become shorter and uh, school's coming back in session here. So it's got me in the, the whole changing seasons mood. But as you know, the church changes seasons itself. So I know there's a difference between congregations or, or denominations that do change the seasons and those that don't recognize the liturgical calendar. Maybe you can uh, peel some of the layers away there or or choose to approach it from a, a different side. I, I will give my backwards approach. Do you know what is one of the most dangerous things a preacher can do and what one of the, the greatest temptations a, a preacher can have is? It's to get on his theological hobby horse. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and, and this is one where, where 
Thomas as you're in the Bible Belt, you'll probably see the you'll you'll see or hear things about congregations down there where where the pastor will harp on the same thing over and over and over. This is going to be my my eight week sermon series on why <laughs> blah 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 is bad yeah, and prominently displayed on the church billboards as you drive around right. to. Yeah, I mean it, it becomes the the advertisement and and. My job as a pastor is not to pound my theological hobby horse. There, there are some topics in the Christian faith that interest me more. There are some sins that I end up fearing more and get more paranoid about. There are some whatever. But, but it's not my job to say, ah, this is what I want to talk about. Because rather I should be proclaiming the entire word of God. The beauty of the church here. And whether you use the the one-year historic lectionary where the readings cycle every year or whether you use the three-year lectionary where they cycle every three years, what that does is in an orderly rotation over the course of the year, the congregation is led through the scriptures to cover, okay, I'm not going to say every single thing that you could possibly come up with, but Basically, all the basics of the Christian faith are going to be presented over the course of the year, and 90% of anything that you'd want to talk about is over the course of the year, and that might be even a low estimate. And so what the the church year does, from my perspective as a pastor, is it forces me off my hobby horse. Um, I generally... I I work ahead early mm-hmm. in the sense that the first thing I do Sunday afternoon before I before I really go home when I'm done with stuff in the morning is I will go look and see what the readings for the upcoming week are. And I basically end up doing a draft of my sermon Monday morning. Most pastors think I'm utterly nuts for doing this, but it's one <laughs> of the things where I, I'm personally paranoid. And, and I'm like, okay, if the week blows up, I at least want to have a draft where I can go in. I know, conversely, I know guys who are like, oh, yeah, it's... Sunday morning, I should probably wake up at four and write my sermon. I couldn't do Wait. that. That would just, uh, my, my wife knows that if I don't have a draft written by Wednesday, I start to become cranky and grouchy. <laughs> so, but what that does, looking at the upcoming readings, shapes the way I preach. We preach on the text. We preach the, the things that are coming up. And that moves us to different places rather than what we want to just talk about. So if I'm really upset about topic X, well, you know, X doesn't really show up in this text here and and I'm really should be talking about something else. Mm-hmm. So it, it moves us on. Uh, the church here basically has two big chunks. From Advent through... Easter or Ascension, really, you have a lot of things that deal with the life of Christ that 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 go over his his coming, his birth, his first coming, his advent, mm-hmm. huh, and then his birth at Christmas, Epiphany season where you have a lot of things revealing that he actually is the Messiah, Lent, which does a lot with the battles he does against Satan, then Easter, death, resurrection, all that type of stuff. And then there's a second part of the church here in uh, the one year series we call it the Trinity season which starts the week after Pentecost. In the three-year series, they call it the Sundays after Pentecost. (laughs) They're the green season. When you have green on the altar, that means it's basically time of teaching, time of growth. And that's where you'll get a lot more of parables and stories in the in the one year you'll you'll end up moving through the main body of teaching in the three-year series. Uh, The one-year series cycles every year and you pull from every gospel. 
Uh, the three-year series, Series A, focuses mainly on Matthew. Series B focuses mainly on Mark. Series 3 focuses mainly on Luke. And basically the Easter season and other places you get John thrown in throughout. But either way, they move you through. They advance you off of individual preaching points, individual points of theology, and move you through the whole counsel of God. And that becomes a, a beautiful thing for me as a pastor. I don't have to sit down and think, what do I want to preach about? I have a text given to me. I, I have a series of readings and say, all right, these are, the, these are the topics that the Word of God addresses here, so deal with these. Mm -hmm. So it prevents my own ego from co-opting the pulpit. Well, it's just like, okay, normally on the show, in the other segments, we are going through the text. That disciplines us. That shapes what we talk about. Now, here we have open-ended, mm -hmm. all right? And, and okay, that, that's fine for a little bit, but if it was just 45 minutes of us talking about whatever we wanted to talk about, and if, and if you weren't such a good question picker, determinedly <laughs> picking something new, this could become the 45-minute let's just gripe about whatever session. And, and that's not what should happen. It's certainly not what should happen in the pulpit. Rather, we need to see more and more the various different ways that Christ gives his love to us. And that's what the, the church here really does. It keeps a constant focus on the many and various ways that Christ shows us his love. Very cool. Does that work? For sure. All right. It's been awesome, working possum. for hundreds to thousands of years, <laughs> I guess. Uh, one one other note, we end up uh, sharing the same church calendar with the liturgical Western churches. So, mm -hmm. so the Roman Catholics are going to be on that same type of church. Our Anglican Episcopalian friends are going to be on the same one. Uh, most of our Methodist friends, uh, to a certain extent, too, your Presbyterians, anyone who, who is creating a liturgical is going to have that same pattern. The Eastern Orthodox have a different church here, oh, okay. and and that's one where I've kind of uh, one of Celia's best, my wife's best friends is a Russian Orthodox, and her husband's a subdeacon at a at a Russian Orthodox church. Cool thing with them, they were in Tulsa, and their church got hit by lightning, Oof. and so they're worried about. I mean, it could have set the thing on fire. What it did, the only damage is they had a, a mural, a a piece of artwork of of. Christ resurrected and it had on it the 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 last enemy defeated is death and the only thing it did is it blotted out the word death which is actually kind of That's, cool in yeah. all sorts of way that is pretty but, cool. uh, but yeah it's one where they have a totally different calendar and I don't know it and so eh. That's one of the things where ah, I'd like to learn about it eventually, but that's just, yeah. it's one of those things where, oh yeah, I should learn that. I've got work to do. Right. Got to write that sermon. So, it's Monday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, got to go edit and revise and, and see how the thing goes the rest of the week. Yep. So, all right. Does that work then? Very good. Yeah, for sure. So did we end with verse seven or, or did we skip or not we're, skip, but have we not read six and seven yet? We we read six and seven. Good we're thing. gonna we're gonna get right. Stephen get into trouble now. Okay, cool, cool. Verse eight. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and those from Cicil Cilicia, there we go, and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen but they could not withstand the wisdom and his spirit with which he was speaking. All right. So, so Stephen goes on out and just in his going out and doing, he, he starts 
getting into theological discussions. And, and one way we might put this is, oh, look, Stephen wins the debate, but that's not how Luke describes it. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. But they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. It's not about Stephen speaking. It's not that, oh, Stephen was good rhetorically. No, what, what's winning the battle, as it were? The wisdom, the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. This is not a matter of, look at how awesome Stephen is because he can do great works and he's obviously a, a persuasive. No, no, no. This is all about the Holy Spirit at work. When we deal with the Acts of the Apostles, again, really, it's not really the Acts of the Apostles. It's the acting of God. It's Christ at work. It's the Spirit at work through his church. And that's the point. Whereas we might just want to say, oh, yeah, look at what they're doing. No, no, it, it's really God at work in us and through us. And that's the point. Why Why is Stephen so persuasive here? It's not about him. It's about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. All right, let's okay. carry on. All righty. Let's see here. And they stirred up the people and the elders. Oh, sorry. 11. Yeah. 11. I skipped 11, didn't I? Did I not? Let's hit 11 just in case. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. When they, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So what goes on? We can't defeat him. He he is speaking words of wisdom and spirit, but folks who reject the spirit and wisdom act against him. And how do they do it? Duplicitously. They they instigate, they rile up, they rumor mong. You know, we heard that Stephen speaking nasty, bad things. You shouldn't listen to him. He's dangerous. Ooh. Well, what's he saying? Uh, um, yeah, he's saying uh, it's not all about our customs and what we do. But, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, that, that's totally terrible. It's about what God does. But, but oh, yeah, that, that, that gets people frightened and agitated. And I do like the, I, I like the accusation. They, they say that Jesus will change things, that, yeah. that our customs won't remain the same forever. Oh, no. Um, well, you know, what becomes their focus? Is their focus there, what is the word of the Lord? Or, hey, look at our traditions and habits. The, the latter. And, and this is one where they're, 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 they hear the word of God preached by Stephen and they reject it and run to their customs, run to their traditions. It's nice that you say that. It's nice that you proclaim the word of God, uh, but we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. And and plus, you're, you're too Greek. Ew, ew. <laughs> you're, you're going to give us cooties because you're an evil Greek speaker. And so so they, they rig it against them. Hey, Thomas, uh, do, do we see things being rigged against uh, people before? It, maybe in, in, in the first part of Acts, or the, the book before Acts, the Gospel of Luke. Mm-hmm. Well, it's even the, the same second. charge about the destruction of the temple was brought forth at Jesus' trial. All right, how do we get them killed off? Well, we'll have them say they're going to destroy the temple. And the, the whole irony of this is it's the stubbornness of, of Israel and 
that that constant desire to rebel, which leads to the temple being destroyed. So this is the the great ironic mm-hmm. charge, not ironic, ironic. <laughs> and and so he gets brought in, and, and you get this interesting note. Even as Stephen is sitting in the council, his face is as that of an angel. In other words, that, that that's a very poetic way of saying he doesn't look like a man terrified. He looks like. Hey, what does the word angelos actually mean? Messenger. He looks as one who is bringing the message of God. And so what I suggest is we we will pause here and go to break. And after the break, we'll hear the message. Okay. Sound like a plan? It does. All right. We will be back in just a few shakes of a lamb's tail. And we are back on the Gospel Boldly podcast, and we are getting ready to begin the uh, seventh chapter of Acts, where Stephen has been brought before the council and the high priest, and we are going to hear Stephen go to town. Okay. Or actually, the Holy Spirit go to town through Stephen. All right, Better so shall we, shall we dive on in? Yeah. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your lands and from your kindred, and go to the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed from there into this land in which you are now living. Removed him from there. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it not even a foot's length, but promised to give uh, it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to uh, this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place." And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac, and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. Uh, A quick question, Thomas. One of the charges against Stephen was that he was overturning, he he speaks blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Uh, The beginning of his speech, what's he just doing? He appeals to their history. He recapitulates the very founding of the Jewish nation, as it were. Where is that history found? Uh, well, in the Old Testament scriptures. Specifically, what scripture? What book? Uh, well, in this case, Genesis. Which is the first book of Moses. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's not overturning Moses. He's just saying, let's go. You, you think I overturn Moses? Well, let's go look at Moses. This is what God has done. This is what right. God... He just did a nice little summation of what goes on from Genesis 12 through Genesis 50. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. 38 chapters in eight verses. Awesome. Very good and condensed. All right? So Let's carry on. All right. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, 
Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, seventy-five persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. Okay, I jumped the gun. The first bit was actually just through chapter 38 of Genesis. And then we get the last half of Genesis in the, the next verse. But right, still, yeah. 15 verses, 16 total to, to sum up Genesis. That, that's pretty good. That is, that is much faster than, than the Bible study of Genesis that I taught for several years. M- much quicker, <laughs> much quicker. All right? But again, it's, he's telling the history of salvation, the, the history of the way God accomplishes things. This is stuff that that any good Jew would know and say, yes, amen, that is what happened. This is what God has done for our people. Yeah, right on. Mm-hmm. And he's going to continue. Okay. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, for he was beautiful, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. All right, now we're moving into Exodus, which is the second book of Moses, as the old custom would call it. And Stephen does something different, or I shouldn't say different. He does something very, very interesting here. But as the time of the what? But Uh, as of the time of the promise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. While he's going over this, while he's telling the history of Genesis and Exodus, over and over he is emphasizing that idea of promise. Now, quick, quick, I'm going to jump the gun here, Thomas. Uh, If something is, if I promise you something, who's active, you or me? Uh, You being the promiser or the active party. Right, And, and, and the one who receives the promise, just receives it. It's a gift given. Mm -hmm. Now, if we're dealing with, I have given you laws and commandments, who becomes the one that is active? Uh, I in keeping the laws and commandments. Right. Okay. We're we're Lutherans. We we like that whole idea of law and gospel, where the law speaks to what I must do and fail. The gospel speaks to what Christ has done for me and gives to me freely. Mm -hmm. All right. One of the other ways that Luther uh, would describe law and gospel is threats and promises. So really, in this retelling of of the story, the books of Moses, what Stephen is doing is he's showing, look at the promises of God at work, how God is the one who is active, how God is the one who's making promises. He's moving us around. He's giving us the land. He's setting up things in Egypt for Egypt to be delivered. God is the one active, doing good things for his people. That's the promise. Mm -hmm. Look at how God is active. All right? Carry on. Let's see. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. 
pause right there. Because <laughs> this is one of the famous events where, where, where Moses strikes down the Egyptian, rescues the Israelite guy. And what's the reaction of the Israelite? Get out of here. Dude, you're, you're going to get us in trouble, you jerk. Yep. But what does Stephen say about it? He figured they would understand that God was giving them salvation. All right? Look, look, this is not just me, Moses, doing something. But look, God is active here. This is something that God is working his salvation. I don't know. You're going to change the way things are, man. We don't like that. You're going to ro- quit rocking the boat, Moses. All right? Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't that funny? Even Moses was accused of rocking the boat and changing the customs. But that's neither here nor there. Carry <laughs> on, Thomas. All right. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? Then the man who was wronged, who was wronging his neighbor, thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning. But I have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. And yet, even as the people reject, God uses this to put Moses out into the wilderness, where we get the story of the burning bush. Mm-hmm. Any good Jewish boy is going to know the story of the burning bush, right? Oh, yeah. This is one of the, the great great thrust, the great, it's one of the Bible stories we get even today when we deal with Old Testament stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yet, nobody emphasizes, note how the story is told. I have seen the affliction, God says. I have come down to deliver. I will send you to Egypt. So the whole point is God is the one who's active for the good of his people, that he is the one who's going to come and deliver them. They're not going to be saved by what they have done because what they're doing is just slavery. But God's going to be the one who is active for them and for their good. Mm-hmm. And where is he pulling this all from? Straight this from is all, the, the, this is the all Tanakh, straight the, Moses, the man. This is, the Torah, if you will. The Torah. The, this is all straight Moses. This is the point of Exodus. All right. Okay. Carry on. Let's see. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, I made you a ruler, who made you a ruler and a judge. This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. And for this, Moses, uh, who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. 
and they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol they were rejoicing in uh, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God, oh, go ahead. So now we get to Sinai, mm-hmm. where where Moses there, and and you have the the he Stephen kind of goes to the end where you have the yeah yeah God will raise up a prophet for you like me, but uh but you know what happened with Moses? He was constantly rejected. Let's go back even to Sinai to the giving of the law, right? Right? You guys love the, the love the law, right? What what are our fathers doing while Moses is getting the law? They're making Aaron make a calf. All right, and so what? What does what does what does God do? All right, fine. He he, he says, "Let's see how." Turned away and gave them over to uh, the wor- uh, gave them over to worship the host of heaven. All right. If you want, if you want to go be pagans, all right. Let, let's see how how do you like these apples? Go go act like pagans and see what happens to you. Mm-hmm. Carry on, Thomas. Okay. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Molech and the star of your God, Raphan, the images that you, uh, that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Okay, I had to read that as a, as a rhyme. <laughs> right. Sorry. Anyway, our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it with jo- uh, Joshua when they dispossessed the nation, uh, nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God, and asked to find him a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? Now note, with this whole history that he's going through, it's the history of God sending people to do things for his people, and his people reject them really? over and over and over again. Yeah. It, it, it's, you fall into idolatry. Oh, and note, uh, there, there's, who, who's the, the prophet who follows immediately after, after Moses? Jo- and leads them to the promised land. Joshua. Uh, Yeshua. Hey, hey. <laughs> now this is one where we miss this point because of the way things get translated in English. Uh-huh. Joshua and Jesus are the exact same name. Right. They're both Yeshua. It's just that when you get the, the name Joshua, it's filtered from Hebrew to, uh, to, to Greek, to La- uh, Hebrew to Latin, to English. Mm-hmm. Jesus is Hebrew to Greek to Latin to English. And so but but so you you have here where where the name of Jesus gets dropped but it's actually referring to to what we term Joshua but but it's still that 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 name. Oh, who's the guy who follows Moses? Yeah, Yeshua. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, foreshadowing. Divine foreshadowing. And you didn't listen to Joshua either, and you didn't listen to David, and you got taken off into slavery and all that. Finish off the speech, 51 through 53. Actually, are we at 48? Yeah. Finish it off. Read us through 53. Okay. And and I will note before we go on too, he is also recapitulating the temple here, which they said that he wanted to destroy also. So that's interesting to me. Yeah. And the temple's all at the very end. It's 
it's it, it's kind of stuck on at the end of things, man. Even David didn't have the temple. <laughs> you stiff-necked okay. people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Uh, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> you guys laugh just like your dad, who ignored Moses, who ignored Joshua, who ignored David, who ignored Solomon, who ignored the prophets. Yeah. Way to go, guys. Good job. And we'll end there. Speaking of my drum. Boop.